You are listening to the Shoto, Brady, and Dunn Sermon Audio. We would love for you to join us live and in person any Sunday. You can watch the sermon video on Sunday afternoons through our Facebook page or at our website, umshoto.net. If you love what we're doing here, you can donate to our ministries at umshoto.net. Thanks for joining us wherever you are. Reading this morning is, is Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you were betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When was with you the day after day in the temple you did not lay hands on me? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we continue on in our sermon series, our little game show, if you will, of That's Not In There with your game show host and pastor, Pastor McPasterson. And this week, as I was thinking about it, I'm a bright red sport coat away from being a game show host. Got funny looking shoes, got a bow tie, and a microphone. Um, You know, we're almost there. (laughs) But we continue on this week. And I'll remind you that, that this game, that's not in there, is, is all about taking phrases that sound biblical and are often well-meaning, and we begin to break them down and understand why they're not biblical and how they can harm others from time to time. Last week in our game, our contestants took the phrase, God helps those who helps themselves. It was said by a bunch of old Greek guys and Benjamin Franklin, but not by anyone in Scripture. And we began the work of reclaiming it and rephrasing it. Rather than telling people, God helps those who helps themselves, we changed it. They're beginning to live in and say, God is with us all. Now remember, this is a, a game as old as time. Human beings have been misquoting books and movies and cave paintings and their spouses since the beginning of time. Okay, like a, like a cheesy game show host, I have cheesy jokes throughout this sermon. You're going to have to laugh, or I'm going to keep telling them. <laughs> but just to get us back into the spirit of playing this game, let me give you a couple of examples just to get the, the brain churning. How many of you have read or, or even watched the movie or both The Wizard of Oz? Well, yeah, a lot of us, right? Right? Well, there's a quote in there. There's probably several, but one that we love to quote, especially when we find ourselves in a place where we're not sure how we got there. We often quote Dorothy to say when she lands out of the tornado and into, or into the, the land. I don't even know what it's called right now. <laughs> Somebody? Anybody? 
All right. Is it Oz Munchkin Land? Yeah, there you go. Um, she tells Toto, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? Well, at least that's what we like to say, but that's not the quote. The actual quote, she says, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I know, it's subtle and it doesn't matter, but we'll get there. But another example, there's, there's this movie, and I only get to watch it once a year because it makes me cry a lot. But it's also a, a quote from a movie that churches and businesses have been misquoting and, and using to justify building projects since 1989. It's the Field of Dreams. Phenomenal baseball movie. It's great. But it's also a great movie of a father and son, right? You know the quote. We like to say, if you build it, they will come. But in reality, what is said is, if you build it, he will come. See, it's just a little difference. If, if we talk about this movie or we, we talk about building something in the context of the field of dreams, he didn't care if anybody else came. He was waiting for that last one more catch and time to spend with his dad. He cared about he, not they. So it's just the different nuance of these quotes. And again, I know, I know, I know. These don't matter. These aren't important. Who cares if we have a feeling or if we're actually not in Kansas anymore or if we build something, if they or he will come? Who cares? Getting movie quotes right or wrong doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of our lives, but it certainly is a fun game to play. What does matter is making sure we're not passing quotes and phrases off as biblical when they're not. And so on today's episode of That's Not In There, we're going to tackle the saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, love the sinner, hate the sin may sound nice and helpful on the surface level, but in reality, I find it quite problematic. Why? Because hate? Because when there is hate involved, there is little room for love. When hate is, is the center of what we're doing, it smothers any hope for there to be any kind of love. For instance, if we're sitting here thinking to ourselves, I love fall. I sure wish fall would get here and stay here. But you know what I hate? I hate winter. It completely shapes our attitude about the season that is to come. And when we say something like, I hate winter, it gives us little room to find joy in an otherwise delightful season. Sure, may it go on a little long, but if we don't leave ourselves room, if we start with hate, we'll never find the joy that something like winter could bring. And so what happens if we begin to take this idea of love the sinner, hate the sin, and we place it onto people as it was intended to do? See, most often this phrase has been used to ignore, degrade, oppress, and strip the dignity away from significant portions of human beings. Love the sinner, hate the sin is essentially saying to someone, I love you, but I hate this part of you. This idea of, of love-hate is, is 
a way of acting with selfish emotions and agendas to make someone else fit our needs and expectations. And I don't know about you, that doesn't sound a whole lot like love, does it? And I know, church, this isn't easy. This isn't easy. I have, I've looked back at some, some of the things and things I've, uh, sermons and lessons I've taught and just things I've done over the last 20 years, and I've found myself saying this very phrase. I don't stand here immune to it either. Simply stand here asking forgiveness and to move forward. See, this, this saying is not easy, but it's also not Scripture. And sure, there are a couple of, of places in Scripture that we could point to to justify love the sin or hate the sin, especially in the writings of Paul. If you get the right translation and you ignore all the context that's around it, we maybe can make a case for this. But that's exactly the entire point of this series. Let us not cherry-pick and make things say what we want them to say. Even though we could maybe put it on Paul's shoulders, but not really. This saying actually comes from a saint, and a beloved saint at that. St. Augustine said it in a letter in like 211, a long time ago. It contained the phrase, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. And over the years, we took that and it became love the sinner, hate the sin. Most recently, it appeared in Gandhi's writings in, in the 19, late 1920s. And so various people have said this has come from various, way, various directions and places. But rather than focusing on something Paul probably didn't say, I want us to focus on something Jesus did. See, what does Jesus have to say or what did Jesus do when put up against this idea, love the sinner, hate the sin? There's examples all over, for, all over the four Gospels, especially when we get to the end of Jesus' life. There were sure a lot of ways Jesus could have justified hate in those moments. But truly, how does Jesus respond? I took a deep look at the life of Jesus in a really odd time of the year. We're just a few short weeks from Advent, and so I already had the baby Jesus on my mind. And it seems like we're a lifetime away from Lent and the pictures of life and death and resurrection that it brings. But the story that kept coming to mind, you've already heard it this morning, the story that kept coming to mind of this idea of love the sin or hate the sin is the arrest of Jesus. Let us hear it once more. Hear from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. While Jesus was speaking, a crowd appeared, and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the human one with a kiss? When those around him recognized what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight with our swords? And one of them struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. Now we could stop there, church. We could stop right there and completely justify the actions of all involved. If we look at Judas, Judas wanted Jesus to act. 
He loved him. Judas loved Jesus, but he hated his actions. He wanted more from him. Jesus loved Judas and allowed him to follow through. Are you here to betray me with a kiss? He didn't stop him. But Jesus certainly wasn't excited about it. Those around Jesus, those who loved him, they were ready to fight. They were ready to reach out and fight with swords. That's not loving. This love, the sinner, hate the sin, it's right here in the midst of all of this scene. And we could justify the actions of everyone here as a result. But what we would be justifying is anger and violence. And there's not a lot of room for love when we do that. Fortunately for all of us, that's not where we stop. Verse 51. Jesus responded, stop. No more of this. He touched the slave's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come to get him, have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a thief? Day after day I was with you in the temple, but you didn't arrest me. But this is your time when darkness rules. See, Jesus comes to this place, and this story almost seems like things just happen in kind of sections and silos, and, and Jesus is really calm, and the disciples are really calm until they lash out, and then it's over. But if we really think about this, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the people there, it's chaotic. It's pure chaos. And in the midst of that, Jesus simply says, stop. Stop. And he only asks the questions of why now and why violently. I'll go. Why all of this? If Jesus would have abided by love the sinner, hate the sin, the scene is completely different. That chaos consumes Jesus could have justified a lot of the actions here, all in the name of love and hate. But church, this is not who Jesus is, thankfully. There is no such thing as a love-hate relationship with Jesus. Nowhere in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus do we find a love-hate relationship. Because hate does not create change within our hearts. Hate does not bring hope to this world, and hate does not inspire a relationship with grace. Hate the sin does nothing but strip another human being of their dignity. And this whole sermon series is meant to reshape how we approach not only ourselves, but others, and what we say and what we do. Sure, these sayings, they have well-meaning, but they are not to be held on the shoulders of Scripture. Love the sin or hate the sin has no basis in Scripture, grace, or hope, or love. And so this week, I don't even want to re rephrase or reclaim this as we did last week. I simply just want to let it go. I want it to go and never be said again. Because frankly, nothing after love in this statement, nothing after the word love in this statement 
as valid. It should simply read love, period. Because love is what brings people dignity. Love is what brings change in this world, in our hearts and in the world around us. But let us remember that with love, change is still hard, hard work. Love is what brings hope to this world. And when we remember that Jesus doesn't fight amongst the chaos in that garden, he didn't condemn Judas. He didn't condemn those who were ready to fight and kill. Jesus didn't love and hate parts of any of those people that were there. Any of those people that he had healed, any of those people that he had talked to, whether it was to, to share the love and grace, whether it was to say, no, you're wrong. Jesus didn't do any of that with love and hate. It was simply love. Jesus loved, period. And that love, that love is what changes this world. That love doesn't say, I love you, but. The love of Christ simply says, I love you, period. And so church, let's put to bed this idea of love the sinner, hate the sin. Let's put it to bed. And let us simply love. Let us simply love. And see how that begins to change the world around us. It takes work. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of, a lot of love to make change. But that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. When we introduce hate into this relationship, hate tends to take over. And so let us simply love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You are listening to the Shoto, Brady, and Dutton Sermon Audio. We would love for you to join us live and in person any Sunday. You can watch the sermon video on Sunday afternoons through our Facebook page or at our website, umshoto.net. If you love what we're doing here, you can donate to our ministries at umshoto.net. Thanks for joining us wherever you are.